In today on the show, we have the man, the myth, the legend, Angus Bradley, down there in Australia. Are you in Sydney, correct? Yeah, man, Sydney, Australia. So okay. I don't know if anyone's familiar. It is a bit of an iconic tourist-based beach. I live right on Bondi Beach. If anyone's seen the show, Bondi Lifeguards. I know it was a bit of an Aussie export. I think mostly to like Japan and stuff. But um, gotcha. You, got, okay. you guys have got your Baywatch over there. I don't think you care as much. Yeah, <laughs> even then, Baywatch, man, that's kind of that's showing age at that point. If you're still watching that, <laughs> dude, the reboot was good though. That was like peak Zac Efron for me. I forgot about that, dude. He's crazy. I like Zac Efron. I feel like he got a little bit of a bad kind of rep. I don't know. Did you watch that Netflix documentary that he did? Or is that the one where he's? Because I think he lives in Byron Bay now, right? And he's sort of going around in a camper van, just blowing the lid off all our cute little tourist spots. Exactly. That, that's just like the classic Australian be like, oh, that was a secret, mate. And it wasn't really like our tourism industry is fucking huge. Yeah. Is that like, what's the primary? I mean, this is not fitness related at all. We're starting off with like ridiculous stuff. But what is the main like economy, like driver of Australia? I have no idea. Um, It's a real like service based white collar, I guess, economy. But then in terms of like very resource rich nation, like we've obviously had a lot of coal mining, iron or uranium exports, but then uh, it's quite a controversial topic in Australia, just like whether or not to move into uh, clean energy and things like that. So we're just on the precipice of hopefully this big transition into clean energy, because like we're just a giant solar panel, our country effectively, yeah. we get so much wind got so much ocean to take advantage of like hydropower and things like that. So we've just got, and that's the thing we, we were so well set up with the resources for that older economic structure as well. So just got to make that sort of jump. And then like, obviously like our education is a big quote unquote export, obviously bringing a lot of foreign students and things like that. And then I guess under that would probably fall uh, tourism. Hmm. Interesting. I did not see, I'm, I'm learning something new every day. Start the podcast sure. off with a bit of cultural exchange. Yeah, definitely. So that's how we're starting to show off. Now we're actually going to get into some training stuff. But Angus, how about we do the el the elevator pitch? Tell us a little bit more about yourself, not just the great nation you come from. Yeah, give us the elevator pitch. I'm so bad at the elevator pitch. So I'm basically just a personal trainer. Um, I love, oh God, I've always been obsessed with just fitness, sport. And I think that's my whole thing. Like my big hesitancy coming into the fitness industry is I just saw it as the space where you got pigeonholed, like, oh, I'm a bodybuilding coach or like even within the gen pop training space, everyone was trying to be so specific. Like I'm a movement coach. Like I was sort of coming into the fitness industry, like tail end of the peak Pollocan period, heading into that, like CrossFit was emerging. All the movement coaches were sort of emerging. Um, but you know, there's always been that underlying theme in the fitness industry as I've been around about everyone talking about principles. And it's like, you know, if you really have principles, they should transcend that immediate domain that you're in. So like my whole thing is like, I really enjoy being able to work with as a diverse a crowd as people as possible. And sort of the reward for me in turn is like, you know, helping me identify, I guess these slightly more universally applicable principles of fitness. Cause like, that's the thing I think training probably is more similar than different, especially the way we describe it in the fitness industry. I think everyone loves to just break off, be in their own silos. I think that's also sort of reflected in like pro sports structure and like the allied health model that we have here in Australia. Everyone's like, no, nah, you've got to have a personal trainer. You've got to have a nutritionist. You've got to have a physiotherapist take care of your injuries. And it's just like, we specialize things so much and it's so hard for all these professionals to communicate with each other that like there's a net loss there. Whereas like if you just have one person who's a bit of a generalist, they might be a bit shitter at everything, but there's a net benefit just from like that harmony within the system. Um, so I know I went off on a bit of a tangent. Fucking oh, man. I mean, that's how I look at myself for sure. Like he's trying to be as much of a generalist. Like I've got my hand in the rehab. <clears throat> Excuse me. I've got my hand in the rehab. I've got my hand in fitness aspect, bodybuilding. You know, I, I know where my weaknesses are. Like if you were to ask me to go completely like, cervical route like i'm not going to be able to do that stuff for like someone who's got crazy you know like mouth stuff going on like talking pri stuff but that said like living in the middle you can get a lot of stuff done but just some awareness 
I think you relate to this, right? Just some fucking awareness of rehab principles helps you then integrate with a rehab professional so much better. And then again, like the harmony in the system there versus like, no, no, I know my space, this like toxic white belt mentality in the uh, fitness industry. It's like, I'm just the training guy. Go talk to the rehab guy. I don't deal with injuries at all. It's like, I think that's sort of become this newer sort of thing. Like people just protect themselves by staying a little bit too much in the lane to the detriment of the client at times. Yeah. Well, I mean, I think that's probably to the fault of some social media. It's like we went there for a while and you had all these people who were trying to be like, oh, we'll do this exercise and that's going to solve your pain and you're going to be jacked. And then now everyone's kind of been like no stay in your lane completely i you know everything and just- look i it's so hard to speak globally about the fitness industry i yeah. have fully witnessed personal trainers do cervical manipulations on a gym floor so i know that that doesn't apply to everyone but i guess like Jesus. what i'm trying to speak to is like we have this weird niche of trainers that kind of have their shit together but they just doubt themselves so much and like they're the ones stuck in this i guess toxic white belt mentality you know you've got your dunning krugers and then you've got the toxic white belt mentality crowd it's like oh my god i know nothing i know nothing right they're always looking for the next educational thing to make them like pump themselves up a little bit more precisely exactly i I get that so so what would you say so you're just trying to sit in the the middle you're trying to be generalist but also just outspoken to some and and i like your content because you kind of call out some of these people and and that's sort of what i see like i'm doing i'm up in everyone's business i'm trying to pay attention to all this stuff be like you guys are saying this over here and you guys are saying this over here like why aren't you guys speaking to each other like because there's so many similar patterns in all of these things i'm like come together people and like we can clear out all the shit like a bit of you know decentralized tinkering everyone goes off in their separate camps and does some work but then you come together occasionally just to compare notes right i like that so do you have an example of, you know, two groups that you've been trying to like bring together? Yeah, like the track, not like I'm not necessarily trying to bring them together, but two groups that I've really benefited from observing. Like, so I guess from a fitness perspective and a training perspective, one of the main things I really specialized in early was like Olympic weightlifting. And so many of the dogmas and the technical model there, it could just be reconciled or improved so much if they just paid a little bit more attention to like track and field coaches and like running coaches or people who coach sprinting how they go about producing force um because and and that's why i got so excited by that like compression expansion sort of line of thinking and those sort of universal movement principles like okay there's literally like two basic expressions of human movement like expansion for like these yielding concepts of the wind-up phase and then compression for force production. It's like you just see those patterns so distinctively and express like surprisingly similarly across those two camps. And like, again, like, so I guess to give you like one specific example in weightlifting, anytime you get medial knee travel, people are like, oh my God, energy leak. Oh my God, you're not producing force. Oh my God, you're going to blow your knee out. Oh my God, your glutes switched off. Whereas you have a look at like the most propulsive phase of of gait or sprinting or gait in general, but also sprinting like that mid stance position. You're like, holy shit, that looks like the mid range of the squat. Oh my God, that looks like the explosive part of the second pull. Oh, okay, these things probably are more similar than different. Again, one of them's on one leg, but if you look at a, at a silhouette in the sagittal plane, very similar shapes. Definitely. No, I completely agree. I think that's, I mean, that's a good way to look at it, but. So now just to kind of dive in a little bit more deeper into that, I am curious how, you know, so you have, you said like one leg versus two legs and the silhouette. And then we're talking, you know, like sagittal plane, like what are some of the, I guess, big difference? Like, do you think that they're different then from like sprint or like, how would you treat them? Like your Olympic weightlifting athlete. And I guess if you don't mind just kind of expanding on that on that a little bit more like okay you're talking gate phase single edge stance for a sprinter but then you're saying it looks the same as like an olympic lifter um, yeah just i guess in like the most propulsive aspects of it or the most yielding aspects of it that's when they start to look more similar than different so like mm-hmm. there'll be certain conversations in weightlifting that i think just probably wouldn't happen if we were paying a bit more attention to again like how people perform in their sport again sprinting is just one example um so there's a lot of debate have you heard about the double knee bend yeah 
yeah, and people are like, well, should you re-bend the knees and sort of thing? Whereas again, what that allows people to do is to get that shin angle change, delay knee extension, or mm-hmm. again, like, is it mid stance or is it your second pull? And so again, like to me, it's obvious why you double knee bent because again, that's how your shin angle change. That's how you get some sort of mid stance force production going. Whereas a lot of people are like, no, no, it's it's stopping the momentum or no, no, like or this whole concept of like triple extension. Everyone mm-hmm. wants aggressive triple extension. Whereas again, you look at sprinters, it's like hips, knees, ankles, and again, you start to pay closer attention to weightlifters. You ignore what the weightlifter encourage to say like oh maximize this triple extension this big sort of jumping motion it's just like now there's this process of extension but again it's hips knees ankles and the knees and ankles are fairly optional like you both of these crowds are looking to get the most out of those larger hip muscles and just sort of get that last finish or pop with the distal knee ankle extension and boom, get into the transition and that's the other thing as well like aggressive triple extension is a real problem i would say oh no gotta watch how it goes because obviously you do need (laughs) some semblance of extension in both like quite a lot of extension in sprinting and weightlifting but one thing that becomes a technical issue for a lot of people in those camps is the timing of the transition so it's not about producing the most force it's about producing the most force at the right time and then transitioning to the next phase for sprinters it's your next stride for weightlifters it's transitioning under the bar and again this everyone's just like triple extend triple extend but if you just let people focus on the rhythm and the timing like they'll get the job done they'll extend enough but they'll also begin transitioning to that next phase so and that's another thing where like sprinting and weightlifting um they're like there's this massive force production component but there's also this massive timing component so that's why there's like some very similar strategies there um from a force production perspective definitely so for the timing component so this just reminds me, I have like this guy I was working with and he's wanting to get into Olympic weightlifting and powerlifting. He has all these very large goals. And if he's listening, he's probably like, shut up. But anyways, <laughs> he's got these very large, yeah, he's got these large goals, but he's also looking at all these small, like minutia, you know, he's definitely kind of gotten wrapped up in like, okay, well my left you know, tibia is more like stuck in this phase and all this stuff. And it's like, man, like some of the things I've been talking to him about, it's like, you just need to get under the bar. Like <laughs> some of this will just probably self-organize to some degree. Like, yeah, there's some drills we can do to kind of, you know, let's do a split squat here and there, you know, that'll probably take care of this, but you need to just do the lifts. I'm yeah. curious if you would agree with that at all or if you've seen the every weightlifter at some point will get overwhelmed by the seeming like technical complexity of the snatch and cleaner jerk and it's so easy to get sucked into that you're like ah, if i just have my foot a little over here ah, if i just grab the bar a little bit like this like even weightlifters like legit weightlifting coaches be like you just need to squeeze the bar a little bit more with your ring finger and like just little things like that but overwhelmingly it is sort of simple it's like you know let the body self-organize around the bar, have the right intent. You've just yeah. got to start your body in the right position, have the right intent, and then all the technical minutial sort of just emerge from that process. Right. Well, because it's a skill at the end of the day, like you just have to, to do it like over and over and over. And it's it, golf with a barbell. Yeah, that's a, okay. I've never heard that. That's good. That's really good. Yeah. <laughs> It's just in that, because like, if you're having a rough snatch session, it's the same as having a rough golf session. You can't just be like, just fucking, like (laughs) you can, but it's not a reliable strategy. It's that thing where it's like, you do have to whack it hard. You do have to pull it hard. But then there's this, this, such a perfectionist aspect to it. It's so frustrating. So someone who's falling into the minutia, like what would be like your one to two like biggest things to focus on especially if they're in getting into Olympic weightlifting or even like powerlifting or something you can be obsessed with the minutiae but that has to be when you're sitting down reviewing the lift and then if you want to change something tiny you have to say how can I constrain it or think of a drill that's going to help me lean into that without thinking about it as soon as the hands are on the barbell we are thinking about force production and timing Minutia goes out the fucking window. Again, you can think about your little like, oh, no, no, squeeze a little bit more with the pinky. When you're setting up, get it, get as much into your head as possible. But then there must be a moment where we clear it. And then this is the thing that I'm constantly trying to push, not only in weightlifting, but in a lot of these areas. It's like 
do not be scared of the minutiae. Just understand where its place is and you have to be able to zoom in and zoom out at a moment's notice and just seamlessly transition between all that nonsense. Or as a coach, it's like we handle the minutiae and that's all feeding into our exercise setup, selection, constraints, so we can feed this stuff in without overwhelming the athlete i hate that part of the conversation of like oh some coaches are overcomplicated. some coaches aren't. it's like you can get as complicated as you want it's all just how you manage that complexity and can transition between complex to then simple communication complex ideas sorry simple communication no i like that a lot i no, it because again it i think on especially on social media people will definitely harp on others you know you can definitely look at some of these uh, different accounts, they're like, oh, well, this sort of three letter acronym only works because you just overload the, the person completely with cues and all this stuff. And it's like, well, not necessarily like they're doing something like something's actually happening. It's just a matter of, I don't know, that's kind of a, a whole nother topic of conversation. But I'd like to stay back on, you know, the Olympic weightlifting aspect of things, because that's something, you know, that I personally am not. Um, very well versed in like I can I can do the movements probably not very well in comparison to a lot of folks but where yeah, does so I'd, I'd be curious to see like once you start paying a bit more attention like what sort of patterns you see especially when you start looking at through this sort of gate-based lens or even you notice right. like your wides and your narrows like again people uh, it depends what kind of and again we've discussed this before it's so hard to have like a real sweeping generalizations about the fitness industries because there's so many camps and things like that but you know a lot of people have been really interested in these two stereotypes the narrow isas the wide isas and how that influences movement and technique and in my opinion you can see it quite clearly in elite weightlifting and the other thing that i love about it is like weightlifting is this sport where every single elite weightlifting coach is like there is one way to do this and but then you have a look at all these different countries and that's what's amazing about these international events and the cultural exchange of sports like you see all these people who are built different from all these different parts of the world and then they come together and there are these slight variances in technique and a lot of those variances in technique conveniently line up with those narrow and wide isa stereotypes so you have like your wide isas who again typically really good at force production internal rotation mid stance sort of concepts and those are the ones that just nail those mid stance components like the second pull and things like that they, they are not good at the later stances of later phases of gait or the very early phases of gait so it's just like shit first pull magnificent second pull they almost don't even finish their pull it's just straight under the bar into a solid receiving position whereas then your narrow isas it'll be like you know big yank in the first pull they'll almost fall under the bar and like slide under the bar in the second pull to get that double knee bend and then do this giant toe off where they almost look like they're about to do a backflip with the bar in their hands before they get into the bar get under the barbell and again like those are the ones that do sort of have to lean into that big finish and bigger triple extension but again a lot of them do have this tendency to sort of over pull and then have the bar dump on them because again the narrows they're getting that big extension that big high pull but then they'll usually just race to the bottom and have the bar crash on them it's really hard for them to like for example in a clean receive the bar right in that middle of a squat because again that's more a place where like your wide isa will be able to hang out a little bit easier so my brain automatically for that narrow just from like a programming perspective goes to like isometrics you know to try to help compress them in those like mid stance i don't know what like what does that look like to help them maybe control that compression or like move in and out of it a little bit better like i think it depends how you want to handle it because it's like i think um and there are so many like really successful narrow isa weightlifters and it just looks a little bit different like you mm -hmm. just got to allow them to to be their bouncy sort of selves and just let yeah. a few things slide they do need to lean into again that big sort of toe phase if they jump back two feet don't worry about that that's just a narrow doing narrow shit and again, like, is that the design to be the best weightlifter? Like, again, most of your great strength sports athletes are going to be your wide ISAs, but we're seeing these narrows and like they can make it work. It's just in their own style. But then you also see these narrows 
who are sort of being quote unquote treated like a wide again their coach probably doesn't know about the infrasternal angles and things like that specifically but these are all things that we've sort of observed some of us just have words to like specifically describe these things um so you can treat a narrow like a wide but then you'll have all these confusing moments where it's just like why doesn't this shit work as well for this guy like why doesn't all this traditional strength training like why don't they just thrive in that environment um, and then again, you have this lens and again, it's not even about necessarily changing the training to make them into a white. Again, it just helps you like manage your expectations a little bit. Just be like, okay, I'm going to, this guy isn't going to respond like a regular strength athlete or like your typical strength athlete, high responder. Yeah. Would you, if you don't mind, try to, we can kind of dive into that even a little bit more, but when you're saying that this narrow is not going to respond to like the typical, you know, I, I think from like a bodybuilding perspective, like I'm not going to train a narrow ISA like Ronnie Coleman if he's trying to do yes. body but like it's just not going to happen and they're just going to get beat up pretty quickly into <laughs> into a phase uh, I'm curious if you see the same thing and like what would be your sort of mindset like what does a program look like for them are you just kind of backing them off sooner than a wide yeah uh yes yeah absolutely that's a massive factor because like Okay, so if I give a wide ISA in his off-season a set of 10 on back squats, they're probably all going to look like a leg exercise. Whereas if I give you a typical narrow ISA, again, typically, we're talking very stereotypically uh, in this conversation, just so it's actually fucking useful. Uh, if you give them a, set, a hard set of 10 on back squats, first three, they'll use their legs, and then the last seven will be a back exercise. So again, like with them, if you want to push those movements, you're going to need to load them up on a lot more external stability. Or again, you just treat it more like submax, and you just stick a lot more volume in there to get the exposure. So again, gotcha. we're still looking for a similar outcome. It's like, there's no way around the strength work, but how we feed it into that system, we have to have a bit more, have to have a bit more respect for their individual structure. Whereas I honestly feel like you can be a bit more, uh, I guess, mindless, or again, just like lean into the traditional tricks for just getting someone crazy fucking strong when they're a wide ISA. Right. Yeah. The you typical, don't need to massage it into the program. Yeah. The typical like NASM just, Hey, like we're going to, we're going to just crank these out. Like it just works so much easier for those wides. Like, yeah, that's one thing. Weightlifting's I, crazy. Like they won't even use a fucking leg press. And it's like, we're out here murdering narrow ISAs with a barbell. It's like, fuck, give them some external stability, please. And again, people like, Oh, USSR weightlifters, didn't use a leg press. I'm like, I don't think they could fucking afford a leg press. They're training in like an old burnt out church. Like, right. <laughs> and yeah. like, you got to think about like floor space and like, you know, people talk about like biopsychosocial influences. It's like, what about like those like social cultural influences on training that we don't talk about? Cause I think that's been massive, right? Like, you know, we, we West and again, I see it a lot cause I'm a weightlifter, but I'm sure even you see that just like so many coaches are like, man, that USSR periodization, they had it all figured out. It's like, I don't know if they did, man. Like, all this auto-regulation, all this sort of stuff, like that's all like Western sort of programming shit. Like we're the ones like leading the charge now. Right. No, totally. And that's, let's definitely dive in because you've definitely you've posted a, quite a bit on periodization and your your views on that. <laughs> um, and then we'll, we'll kind of come back, you know, sprinkle in some more social media stuff. But yeah, let's talk about the periodization and your views on that. So um, if you let's first, if you don't mind defining periodization, um, that's the issue. The, <laughs> um, very true. And, and that was the thing. Cause I think I've had these feelings, right? So like, I won't mention John Kiteley yet. And I won't mention Martin Jovanovic cause they're the ones that really derailed a lot of those concepts in my head, but like just from a weightlifting perspective, um, there's just some things that you're aware of that have worked over because everyone's Again, when I started in the fitness industry, evidence-based era was emerging. Everyone's like, you've got to have a scientifically periodized program. Otherwise, you won't get any fucking results. So you need to hire a personal trainer. Um, but then, like, you look at the greatest weightlifting system of all time, the Bulgarian system, um, and they just maxed out all day, every day, mimicked competition setting and just took a bunch of D-ball. And that was literally the best weightlifting program of all time. Um, and it's like, why does that work? Because it worked. And people are like, no, periodization. I'm like that. Well, like, and, and so I guess that's the definition that we're left with. We're like, what is periodization? Like people think it's a thing that you actively do. If you write any sort of training down 
onto a bar napkin or anything. It's periodized. Like periodization emerges. You can keep a training diary and just train at random, write it all down, reflect on it. It was periodized, maybe just not well in hindsight. So it's like you have to organize training. But again, people think that there's like specific physiological triggers that you're like hitting and timing and sequencing and predicting how they're going to play out and periodizing around that. Like that's dumb, that whole like predictive wizard thing that I think that USSR style of periodization gets you to lean into. Be like, I'm going to map out your next 12, maybe even six months of training. It's like, you know, in four months, you're going to be doing like six by four back squats at 84% with 20% band tension because that's exactly where you're going to be in this you know, strength meso and things like that. Whereas, you know, again, like what one, we've seen all these crazy programs work. So one, how do you explain that? And then two, it's like, maybe you just need a program that more like adapts to the athlete, a more reactive sort of style. You can just build this thing out around them as they're going through it. Right. And because again, we're moving from this like old world to new world understanding. And again, it was kind of more suitable back in the USSR because again, those humans are predictable. Like, you know, exactly where your weightlifters are going to be nine to five. They're in the fucking weightlifting gym. Whereas again, out here, it's just like, you're dealing with one, a system that's fundamentally unpredictable as a human, but then they've also got a more unpredictable lifestyle. So again, you write out this perfect USSR style program doesn't suit that Western sort of lifestyle, much less predictable sort of circumstances you need a program that is reflective of that so you're just looking at this as being more well okay so then what's your solution i'm here for like what works everything works so like where i'm at now because you can't people and this is the same as like the movement optimism conversation it's like there's no good or bad movements so just fucking do whatever but it's like when you need something to coach it's like all these old rigid tools that we've been taught they're still your tools and that's still your color palette, right? That you're painting on this canvas with, but it's just like someone's come up, tapped you on the shoulder and be like, boy, there's no fucking rules. Like, It sounds a lot like, like it's like you need these things to reference, but just water it down, like water down all those borders that we yeah. sort of created. Same with like, you know, acute chronic work rate. Again, it's like useful conceptually. People tried to boil it down to like a single data point be like it's exactly this and be like no no it's not that it's just like this general concept of acute chronic work rate and again like block periodization pure block periodization is fucking trash but again this concept of block periodization it's like oh yeah just over time there should just be like this general phasic structure emerging but it's not like it's like okay only hypertrophy and then only strength and then only power it's like what are we fucking doing like <laughs> Yeah, I, I mean, I can't tell you. And, and that's the pattern in thinking that I see in every domain, whether it's biomechanics, whether it's programming. It's just, again, this just big shift in our thinking and our understanding of the world around us and how we handle complex systems. So you're just saying to be more flexible instead of just block periodization, which is this, this, and this each month. Because, I mean, like I was saying, like, it, I can't tell you the last program I've written where it actually worked out (laughs) exactly like this is going to be four weeks of hypertrophy only. Like, again, people are living, like, especially gin pop. It's like, it's just not going to What are you saying with the way you write a program? Because when you write a program, you're saying something with that program. That's the way I view it. Uh, Maybe this will get people thinking like I think, and I'm like, what I'm telling that person by completely pivoting their block, I'm telling that person that as I see it, their needs changed overnight. Does a human system's needs ever drastically take a U-turn overnight? Like they they wake up one day and it's like, you need pure hypertrophy. They go to bed and then they wake up the next day. You're like, hey, you've been doing that for four weeks. Shing, let's shift to a strength block. You just, you woke up a different person. Like, did I? Or and like, okay, but we know humans change over time. It's just this more graded sort of change. So why can't you blend and shade your hypertrophy block into a bit more of a strength block. And then I'm like, now you're living in the 21st century with me. That's the best of both worlds. It's not this like, oh my God, periodization doesn't exist, do whatever. And it's not this like USSR rigid system, like body's a machine. We're existing in that space where it's like, bro, you're a machine. I'm in there telling them that to him to his face. I'm trying to get him to think he's a machine. But again, the program adapts to the the human system. Definitely. With So what do you... You said the word blend. What does that look like? 
Uh, I guess it's all just DUP, right? <laughs> At the end of the day, like anyone who's not doing DUP, like some form of modified daily undulating periodization is a bit of a loony, um, mm-hmm. in my opinion. Oh, no, yeah. like, sorry, if you want to just do a pure strength block, like by all means, but most people have sort of concurrent goals looking for a few outcomes anyway. So it's like, you might as well just sort of chase it all at once. And, and people are like, you won't get as strong of an adaption. But again, like, do you really need one? You can just like bring all this stuff up together. And again, it totally depends on like how highly of a specific athlete you're you're training, whether it's like a pure strength sport athlete or is it like a field sports athlete who needs to be chasing all these qualities concurrently anyway, because it is a part of their expression of their skills. Um, So you're looking at this from more of a, so you're blending DUP. You're trying to look at it from obviously like meeting the person where they're at, but also maybe- That's the biggest thing. That's literally pretty much all of it. Like I am looking to be a facilitator not a audio around tell you what to do it's like i'm just facilitating pushing this shit all in around your lifestyle where it works because mm-hmm. i that's that's my background like even though I, i'm lucky i get to work with a lot of athletes now like it's a big gen pop background and like i still pay my bills largely by training the gen pop mm-hmm. yeah and, well, but like it's the same shit it turns out because then you realize like most pro athletes don't give a fuck about lifting weights either so they're not <laughs> behaving exactly like the gen pop so having that skill set becomes incredibly useful yeah, definitely. I realized that really quickly working with some pro athletes back in Seattle. That was <laughs> it's so funny. <laughs> yeah, it's like, all right, man. I, so there's a basketball player that went to uh, my university, John Wall, um, plays in the NBA now, but his personal trainer, I like got to see one of the programs that he was writing for John Wall. I'm like, oh, man, this has got to be pretty good. Like, you know, he's going to have some specific stuff. It was literally like four days a week of arms. <laughs> that was it nice. like that's all this like nba guy wanted to do was just freaking arms <laughs> but so much of that is just like you know you never know what that like, because there was the contacts that he's like man i love powerlifting he's just like oh do you love training arms he's like i also love training arms it's like let's fucking do that like so much of that and like because you know how people love to share that photo of lebron's box box squat and be like oh god if i was his personal trainer i'd have him fucking you know holding that way down in front heels elevated don't worry i'm a bit that guy as well but like i wonder if lebron had just watched like west side versus the world the night before mm-hmm. and he goes to his training he's like i want to max out my box squats like i've heard if you can squat wide you can do anything and then his personal trainer like he's like all right well lebron can just sack me at any moment he doesn't need me so i'm just going to stick boxes under him so then I'm like, all of a sudden, I feel like LeBron's got an amazing SNC coach. Again, who knows what the story of that squat was? Hopefully everyone's seen the squat that I'm referencing here, but like I can yeah. visualize it. Yeah, it was on Sports Center. I mean, you, everyone's seen that. Yeah, it comes up once every six months. Yeah, definitely. But yeah, man, it's, they're just, again, it's just humans at the end of the day. So it, I think what does help and what I've found helpful is just looking at it from a longer standpoint. Like even though I might, train someone to you know granted i do like rehab plus some training so i might only see someone for maybe a month it's like all right we got you feeling better like you know go do your thing but then even then like in that one month i'm still thinking like well what does their training plan potentially look like in a year to two years like from that yeah because there's just going to be momentum from that month and it's going to start them in a certain direction yeah yeah and i found that you know especially looking at um I think the only thing I don't agree with, and then again, this is more like bodybuilding perspective, but talking or listening and looking at like Renaissance periodization, Mike Gazer tells information and he's like, well, you know, you add one and a half pounds, you add two and a half pounds every two weeks. And then what does that look like over the course of a year? Right. And that sounds fine and dandy, but again, it's like, it doesn't obviously go that direction necessarily um i'm curious if it's similar in that aspect with the sport of weightlifting and sort of (laughs) nothing's linear and how you deal with that no well and that's why again just like a more reactive approach it's just like at the end of every week or at least at the end of every month depending on how your training structure is set up just like sit down and reflect and, and that's, again, why I don't like this proactive approach, because, again, a lot of people are lazy once they've set a plan in place. It's like, keep it deliberately vague. Like, you need, the only reason to plan out ahead is to console the athlete and to meet their expectations. Some people just need to see a little bit of proactive planning for, like, a comfort's sake. 
But in my eyes, like as soon as it's just sunk cost fallacy, any framework you lay down, it's going to be so tempting just to commit to that more and more and more. So just keeping it as open-ended as possible and just having this more um, just bottoms up reactive approach. You just relax. Because again, I think as coaches, again, like being proactive in other areas of your life, we're always rewarded from that. So it seems like you're giving people a lot of value. Like, no, no, like plan out those next six months of training. I'm all over it. Like I'm paying attention to things. I'm looking out ahead. But it's like, that's actually not the most productive thing. We need to reframe things in this particular context. It's like be reactive, sit there, watch and wait. People, people are thinking so far out into the future programming wise, like they're just not present. They're not observing. Be present, be an observer. That's how you be a good coach. And that's how you make these great little training decisions. And again, like in this reactive approach, there's no big decisions because it's like, I don't know, like we're going to check in in a week anyway. Don't worry about it. This could be the worst decision ever. It's only going to be there for seven days. Right. It's just like this, this tinker, tinker, tinker approach. So how long do you, <clears throat> so looking at this more reactive approach, which, you know, you talking about it, I'm like, I, I definitely do this to some degree, but how long do you give someone before, you know, they start stagnating? You know, it's like, ah, oh, like that's, that sucks, but we need to stick with this. Like, are you looking like two weeks, three weeks? Like, what have you found useful? Between two weeks to six months. <clears throat> <laughs> Uh, yeah depending <laughs> sorry like i a sign of a successful block to me is just like we just run it out for like six months um and like so i, I like i don't really do mesos like I, I just try to nail i like i i try to nail a micro cycle people get too caught up in the mesos it's like what are you actually doing like what's the athlete experiencing it's a, it's a micro can you get someone a sick week of training that's the first barrier to overcome. I just want to get someone a good week of fucking training. And if I've got that, I don't want to throw that out every four weeks because a good micro cycle is worth its weight in gold. But again, you don't want to be doing the same program for even four weeks, let alone six months or something like that. So from week one, it's just tinker, 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 tinker. And all because I'm getting so much data collection from just observing the athlete and how they're responding to the program. So, like, if we keep that momentum going for six months, it's going to look completely different by the end of it. And you'd be like, oh, you must have done some block periodization. But no, it was just this molding and this reshaping and this constant tinkering over time to adapt it to meeting the athlete where they're currently at. And that's sort of how the micro progresses. What leads to block changing is like sometimes you just fuck, same as like a painter. You just, you get a bit too excited. Like, you know what? I overshaded this. Let me just scrap it, start again. Or like, um, the other thing that will lead me to changing the micro cycle is client goes on a holiday, client has a horror week of work and they just don't get to the gym. I'm like, here is our opportunity for a reset. So yeah, yeah, the only things that lead to me just doing a new block where either we've fucked it with a little bit too much tinkering does happen from time to time or just life will provide you with an opportunity for a fresh start. I'm a big believer in that. It's so rare that the people who can show up to the gym enough and expose themselves to that consistent stimulus enough to truly overload themselves to the point where they need a program to deload, it's a very small percentage of the population. Completely agree. hundred. I, I can't tell you how many times where it's just been like, a natural deload just happens. Like yeah, I couldn't I, believe how controversial that post was. was yeah, crazy. that doesn't make. I just I don't get that at all. Like it just it just naturally happens. It's like I'm like work is crazy right now. I got to focus on that, but I'm also feeling a little beat up. It just happens to coincide. And it's just something that people say. People are like no, my life revolves around training. It's like no, it fucking doesn't. Like so many people think it does. It's like, it doesn't though. Cause when you get, have an argument with your girlfriend, you think about that your entire squat session. So it's like, how much like, oh, you really like in this, in this. And it's like, it's so hard to be that guy who's just like, no, my whole life revolves around this. Like I can't overload my, it's all this. But for so many other people, it's like, it's not your five by five of squats. It's your 40 hours of work a week and your boss yelling at you and your girlfriend that you hate. It's overloading you, maybe. No, I definitely, I, that's I again, a big gen pop perspective. Like again, that all yeah. observations I'm like start 100%. with gen pop, but again, you move into this other crowd and like, you still see it's like, well, this guy, he says he's an athlete, but he's still got a job. He's still smashing a six pack of beers every night. It's like, you know, I'm with, it. so I have these conversations with people all the time, especially, you know, who have taken different courses and they're like, well, this, this, this pattern's going on. They're an extension bias, all that. And they want to jump to these crazy complex interventions all the mm -hmm. time. 
like, oh, let's go complex. And it's like, are they in a caloric deficit like for the past three weeks? Have they been sleeping like shit? Like they're going to be in an extended posture all fucking day. Mm. If they're having these like environmental things going on, why are you jumping to like, hey, let's go find a dentist and like all this other bullshit. It's like, yeah. just look at their lifestyle. Like you can't. And, and we all fall into these traps. But, and, that, and that's the thing. It's like, you can still get complex with all that movement. It's just earn the right. Sort right. out all the other shit. Earn the right to get to that level of complexity because I get it. I enjoy it. I love these complex biomechanical solutions and things like that. But fuck, dot your eyes and cross your T's with the big rocks first. Hundred percent. Like you're still a human at the end of the day. Like, and that, I think that's. I don't know. That kind of gets into the idea of everyone still thinking of humans as machines to some degree, and it's like, oh, it's this little circuit that we just got to fix and tinker with. And it's yeah. Like, no, like it's this blob. Like I think of like a human as like a ditto Pokemon sometimes. <laughs> it's just like, it's constantly conforming to the environment and what's around it. Like, yeah, yeah. It's so hard to it. come up with an appropriate metaphor for the human body. Cause it's like humans, like it's just this humans, right? Like, I don't know. <laughs> Cannot really compare it to fucking anything. Hey, cause it's like, I see that like how it's used. People hate that body is a machine thing. I'm like, literally the only problem with this body is a machine thing is that machines aren't adaptable. If, 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 if it didn't put this idea that we're like really fragile into people's head, I don't mind that body is a machine sort of thing. But then, yeah, obviously reality, we can see how that can lead you down a dark path with some. I mean, with the way AI is going, we can start just being like, well, imagine an AI robot. It's going to adapt to the environment. You can start saying that shit. Like that might. <laughs> that <laughs> might in case in point, how hard has it been to get these robots to locomote? Because they don't have a transverse plane. <laughs> right. Yeah, no, that's very true. Oh, man. So I just discovered that um, I'm, I'm going to sell a sell the farm on this one but like the the book human locomotion um okay. that he's got a whole youtube series completely free he goes over on every, robots yeah, no 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 not on robots on humans and he's but oh. like that was one of the that'd be crazy uh, like that was one of the big like things like i started uh, chapter one the other day and he was just kind of talking about it and like reading it and listening to it, it's like one thing i don't know i think I like hearing information. I've learned better that way. Well, Cause then you can just sit there and let the images form in your mind. Cause you're not right. on the page. It's more like, That's I like the storytelling aspect of things. And so he's like going through, he's like talking about the different types of like homo species that like come about. He's like, well, this one was like only in frontal plane. And that was amazing for swinging for three trees. But, yes. and then it's like glute medius was able to kick in with this one. I'm like, Oh fuck. Like, that's cool. Like, that's insane. Like he was able to actually, and it's like, um, what is it like the Lucy uh, skeleton that they found it was like glute medius could kick, could kick in, but it, it could only uh, walk a 26 minute mile. Like it was what? super, it was super fucking slow, well, but it was I able to stand that, upright. Yeah. All that evolutionary, like biomechanics and anatomy, like very, very interesting. Because again, if you follow that closely, like there's so much shit they say in the sort of primal movement crowd. I'm like, eh, like just this obsession with like externally rotated lower limb and things like that. And I'm like, I'm think, I think they're missing the thing that made us uniquely human, which right. was the ability to like internally rotate. Again, you look at the structure of the pelvis compared to like the chimp, everything just came in. He literally says, rotation. like being able to stand on one leg and having that like proper outlet at the pelvis, he was like, that's what made a human right there. Mm. He was like mm. that, like ability to essentially hit mid stance and not just yeah. like frontal plane all over the fucking place. <laughs> yeah. like, and I was like, God damn, like this is, I don't know. Like I said, it's, it's nice. And he's got like his little slides. I was like, man, like that's real. you should definitely check it out. It's super nice. Like going no, through it, it that way. Like a resource I'd absolutely love. Oh yeah. It's all free. After the show it's all on you, it's YouTube. Wait. Okay. Link this in the show notes and please yeah. <laughs> remind me after the show, I have to get into yeah, this. It, have you ever watched uh Robert? It's like watching Robert Sapolsky like do his behave like series and all of that that but, level of free resource yes but that on biomechanics and i was like okay wow. um i'm definitely gonna do this because like reading that book is like oh my god i want to slam my head against the floor like i like biomechanics as much as the next trainer but just reading it, it's like still boring as all get out to me but <laughs> especially like the university of youtube and google has some amazing resources on there 
Oh, 100%. Yeah, I can't tell you. I mean, I literally learn everything on there. That's how I learn how to change the oil on my car, like all that shit. <laughs> People say so many things like, oh, I can't believe you use Instagram as a learning resource. I'm like, Jesus crap, like relax, man. Like as long as that's not the end point, like right. no one wants to admit how much they get from resources like that. It's like, you don't have to be embarrassed. Just be honest to help other people learn. Like yeah, just trying to share information, right? Just because there's crap information on there too. I was crap information on PubMed. There's all that research that says Nordics yeah. prevent 50% of hamstring injuries. <laughs> <laughs> well, I mean, you go into a library, you're not going to find all the amazing books. Like there's so much bullshit on the shelves. <laughs> oh, that's, that was my favorite one. Like people don't realize how many idiots write books. Yeah. Because <laughs> people say like, oh, people can write anything on the internet. I'm like, you know, idiots wrote books too, right? Like, yeah. Oh my gosh. There's so many bad books out there. Like if you really want to go in, like there's shit yeah. on like why racism is okay and eugenics. Like there's still those yeah. books Backwards on the shelf. Fucking stuff. We just upped the volume with the internet. It's like there's still the same quote unquote quality. It's just there's more of everything. <laughs> yeah. It, exactly. And you know, people can kind of dive, stay within their camps and now and they become like little echo chambers in some ways. And but they've I was talking to Kyle Dobbs about it. He's like, it's just, again, it just magnifies that group within like, it's like, oh, well, there's other people that think like this, which is yeah. good and bad. I don't know. I wrestle with the echo chamber thing as well. Cause like, I completely acknowledge that component of social media, but then at a certain point, it's like, it doesn't function any other way. It's like, and we've seen like, so like what, you just log onto your page and try to piss everyone off. It's like, even that turns into a circle jerk at a certain point, if you do it consistently enough, it's just like yeah. the medium is the message. Instagram's there for circle jerking. It's like, if you want to have a serious conversation, go write a PubMed article. Like, yeah, It's so funny. Like everyone climbing in the swamp and then complaining about the swamp. It's like, why are you here? Yeah, exactly. Like, oh man, that's, <laughs> that's a good way of putting fucking it. Instagram, I'm like, funny how you used instagram to communicate that like yeah. if it was so bad and such an issue wouldn't you have another medium to reach these people <laughs> crickets yeah you're calling me out I, I, we were talking before the- we were talking before this i was like i'm done with instagram man like i'm so tired i like of it getting people back around to it. no but I, but I understand like i understand yeah. look the good and the bad i'm not here to ignore, deny any of the bad aspects of, we've all seen it it can be fucking heinous i just feel like we need more people just standing up for instagram every now and then especially like because like that was my bread and butter like a lot of the way i got introduced to fitness was through social media social media personalities like ziz stuff like that so like at the end of the day like they're why i'm here i just want to like hold space for that um i followed this guy and he was talking about or i started following him because he had a good point he was like you know he's a business guy and he's talking about social media he's like instagram sucks but i also have to appreciate it because it's how i make literally all of my money and i was like uh yeah that's a fair point like you can't bitch about it that's what i i just want to say to anyone who's complaining like delete it delete it you don't have to have it everyone's like no 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 but you have to my brother doesn't post any fitness stuff on instagram he makes more money than i do he has a house i don't his books are full yeah okay no i I know still run a face-to-face business and i think if you're not going to go ham on social media it's almost a distraction yeah definitely I, I know some guys that, you know, they only have like 800,000 followers. They're pulling in 10K a month. Like no problem. Yeah. It, full books. Yeah. yeah. No problem at all. And then, you know, it's a lot of it's face to face, you know, brick and mortar type stuff, but, and they kind of post here and there, but they literally don't have to. It, yeah. And it's yeah. also a difference between like, if you're like, I'm only online, like my area of the U S Ohio is bone dry for this type of like it's fucking terrible around here like and that's the beauty of online right because like i had to my hometown was a bit like that so i had to start commuting to the big city to build a face-to-face business initially yeah and instead of me like when i was in seattle which is west coast like big city i was golden i was fine didn't have anything to worry about cincinnati ohio Different story. <laughs> Not so much, man. It's a, it's a little harder out here. But again, there's a difference between marketing with an online presence and like having to do that. Like this, that's half of my job versus a brick and mortar. Like the marketing strategies are completely different. And like, again, that's where I, I agree with it's a complete distraction at that point. <laughs> it, it frustrates me seeing 
personal trainers complain about how hard it is to crack the online space when they live in a city. I'm like, there are people who will pay you potentially in excess of $200 for a 45-minute session face-to-face. And you're here worried about getting like 30 bucks a week off someone. It's like, if you want to get paid, if you want someone to feel something when they ax you as their trainer, you know, people feel when they send an email, be like, hey, bud, cancel the DD. See you never. Um, sorry, like people online can be amazing. And like, I've had some <laughs> amazing relationships with clients. But I tell you what, none of my online clients would, oh, I shouldn't say, I've, again, like I said, some of them are like my best mates now. But like, like case in point, one of my face-to-face clients who's been with me for like two years before the pandemic, he paid my rent during the gym shutdown and um, during COVID. And no online client is ever going to do that for you. Um, yeah. People talk about the online dream and like, it's a ama- like, again, like for me, like the online thing, it's amazing. It allows me to work with so many other people, but again, like just the actual connection that you can get and the fucking money in a face-to-face business. Like I, I, too many people just think it's over and it's done. It's like, no, that's still the show. Like, yeah. So don't want to go on too big of a rant. Very passionate about the gen pop face-to-face thing. No, I'm with you. It's something that I really want to dive dive back into whenever I have the chance and like open up a spot around here. But fully know, depends yeah. like literally where you live. Yeah. And that's the thing. If you're in a certain area, I totally understand. Like that's one of the beauty about this online thing. Like it's taken a lot of pressure off me. I could move back to my hometown where there's amazing waves, where all my schoolmates are and I can still run a business. But if I was yeah. still heavily reliant on that face-to-face thing, again, stuck in a city. Because again, if you want to do a face-to-face style PT business, like that's just the way to make it less financially stressful. Yeah, it's just a lot of overhead too. Like I run my business at like $120 a month. Like <laughs> I've got Zoom subscriptions, my website, and it's like, this is it. Like, you know, I got my, I mean, I guess you could look at my house as that, but I don't know. But it, it's definitely... I don't know. They both have their perks. Yeah. So the other side of that is six months into my personal training journey, I ended up paying 450 a week rent and I was locked into a 12 month contract and I stayed at that gym for like three years. And I reckon it took me two and a half years to start making rent consistently. (laughs) So I hear that. Yeah, that's a lot. But the other side of it was there was plenty of other trainers making 200 grand a year just on the gym floor there. So it's like it's a bit of a sink or swim mentality in those like premium commercial face-to-face facilities. Yeah, I was definitely, yeah. I had trouble with my first bid box gym. It was tough. <laughs> so- I romanticize it so much. It's the best baptism of fire. And like, I'm not even saying it's a fair fight in there, but I'm like, man, you come out the other end of that, you can do anything. Yeah. Wow. See, I want to say that I came out the other end well, but I didn't. I Traumatized. I yeah. I was like, man, I, I went down. I started doing functional patterns because of that shit. <laughs> All right. Okay. Okay. So, so, like, was, so he walked into my gym one day, just as like regular British expat. And he was like, oh, I love my email list. I'm not that interested in training people face to face. You're like, it's funny, obsessed with emails. Next thing's most famous personal trainer of all time. Like it was really lucky, like Graham Morris, um, just got to work alongside him. So I was really lucky as well, just, just the environment that my commercial gym just happened to put me in like fitness first in Australia. A lot of people make fun of it as a commercial gym, but because we don't have that big of a private sector over here, especially for the SNC side of things, like there's not that college thing, pro sports, a lot smaller. It's like you find some absolute weapons in those commercial gyms here. If you're lucky. If you're lucky. That's the thing. Yeah. I see. Uh, well, okay. So let's do this. Um, because obviously like you have your, your mentorship and everything. I'm sure you like talk about business, but for a, you know, cause there's a lot of coaches that listen to this. What would be some advice that you would give to someone who's wanting to make a breakout, but without them having to, you know, this connects well with what we were talking about before, but like I'm the mobility guy or I'm the rehab focused trainer, or I'm just the weightlifting guy. Like what, what's a piece of advice you'd have for them? Be yourself. Like everyone thinks that, and like, I know it's just cliche, but like be yourself, like so many things that you think you have to be in the fitness industry. And like a big thing for me was like, I thought you had to be like a big, strong guy for people to respect you. And I was putting all my effort into just lifting weights, like, look how strong I am, respect me. But then I wasn't doing anything to help other people or anything like that. Uh, again, COVID happened, started putting a lot more of my focus into like actually helping people things like that and, and and being myself like because people again like they think that there's a certain way you have to be as a trainer and then that feeds into how they create content and they're like why can't I create content 
Whereas like I'm really myself uh, and I can exist on social media and I can churn out content effortlessly because it's just pours out of my soul. And a lot of people aren't comfortable enough with themselves. It's okay to hate yourself. I hate myself a little bit too, but you just got to try to smush that feeling down, share your own ideas. Cause then like, I don't know, you realize that you're your own probably biggest critic. A lot of people out there on social media are actually probably nicer than you. That's been my experience anyway. Any of the blowback I get, it's like I'm way worse than shit I say to myself in my head. So I think it's just that. It's like learn to, be, if you want to get into this content creation, sort of sharing everything sort of game, it's like get comfy with yourself and just open up and just let it fucking flow. Don't worry about being a professional, just be you. Cause like, that's how you're just going to be up. Cause it's, it's that, it's a social media presence. The moment you shut up, people just forget about you. So this thing of like, I've got to be professional. I've got to have high quality content. I'm like, no, you have to be present and you have to be helping people. High quality content sort of like in terms of production value is secondary there. It's like cancer, you fucking Canva Pro account. Unless you're posting every day. If you post every day, if you can keep that presence going and absolutely start to find those other little rocks and add them in to fill in the spaces and things like that. But yeah, just be yourself. Learn to be yourself. You can... Because I wasn't sure if there was like a space for someone who was like, I kind of love functional movement. I kind of love smash and tin. I love Olympic weightlifting, MMA, surfing. I also love working with the gen pop. I'm like, I don't know if there was a market for that. But um, there is. Turns out there's heaps of other people that do that. There's Seven billion people. Not, I think half the world has internet access these days. Um, That's the beauty of the online training. Yeah, a li- no, little bit I, of a rant there, but yeah. Just, no, I completely agree. Because I can't say enough because people hear it, but it doesn't sink in and they're yeah. still putting on this act because like they come into my mentorship. And I'm like, why is your voice like that? I thought you spoke like what your content, what that what I heard on your Instagram page. And then there's just this completely different person in front of me. I'm like, this person's fucking awesome. Like, why aren't you sharing that? And again, I get, I understand it's so hard to be comfortable with yourself. Anyway, going around in a little bit of a circle, I just want to drive that home. Like, are you sure you're comfortable with yourself? Exactly. <laughs> pay attention to how you behave when you're hanging out with your mates pay attention to how you behave when you're making content if there's a disparity there just go to therapy or something yeah exactly well and i think part of it is especially here in the states it's like okay you have this resume and then i remember going through college and everyone was like oh you have to be super careful with social media because if you post to the wrong <laughs> thing and everyone's <laughs> that was a trick that were joking <laughs> yeah like i think people take that though and they like it's like you know, you're making an educational post. It's not you like slamming beers and completely shithouse. Like, you okay, because can... here's the other side of it, right? It's like people are so afraid of being made fun of. Well, it's like, good luck with that because I've already, already trivialized myself. Yeah. <laughs> like, it's also a defense mechanism. Like, yeah. Because, like, that's the other thing. I think the other thing that stops people engaging in the online space is like they get hurt by it. But it's like, if you just don't take yourself seriously from the start. It's like, it's a space primarily for sharing memes. Yeah, anything educational is secondary to that. You know, once, you, once you're operating under that attitude, I think it's it's pretty easy to exist on that. Easier. Easier, definitely. Well, and that's like why I started posting the memes. Like, I, again, you said, a, you know, you hit the nail on the head with it, but it's like the professionalism aspect. And I was like, man, I got to make these all look pretty and perfect. And it's just like, no, I fucking don't. Like, I'm just going to say how I actually feel about this topic. And you know what? I'm going to make it into a meme. And the second I started doing that, I was like enjoying the process of creating content. Because people like, hey, I don't call the the fucking memeing. But I'm like, to me, it's this the most beautiful thing ever. Like adults get to create. And like, you just a heap serious coach. And I'm not trivializing this at all because this is like me as well. And like, you take space out of your day between trying to deliver this high quality training product to just sit down and create this cute little funny picture. But then there's also like all this meta component to it. And it's like, it, it could genuinely teach someone something. I'm like, that is so unique and rare and beautiful. Like, I, I don't know any other industry where we get to do those things. And again, maybe that's just what I want. Maybe this is just this, the industry just by chance happens to be heading in the direction that's perfect for me and like what my soul connects with. But I'm like, doesn't that excite you? Or do you want to see people with a rod up their ass? Like, no, if you're an educator, you have to do up your top button and be a certain way. It's like, I don't know. I don't know if that's what I want. Like, what do you want? Like in my eyes, like, it's like, it's, there's no barrier, real barriers to entry. Everything's like accessible and stuff like that. You can be creative. You can be funny, but again, it can still be productive. Like I just, I don't see many other spaces like that. 
Yeah. Well, and at the end of the day, it's fitness. Like people are gross, smelly and sweaty. Like, <laughs> so if you're worried about like how you like present yourself, like, again, you're making people sweaty. Like you're <laughs> like, that's the way I look. I'm like, it's all a clusterfuck to begin with. Well, here's the other thing that feeds into it as well. People are like, oh, I don't like any of my clients. And I'm like, well, think about how you behave and what that attracts. And I'm like, you just be yourself. Again, you mm-hmm. attract like all I get. Oh, I don't know. Like, cause all my clients are like, like me, like, like on a real surface level, but like, you know, you spend like, sometimes you just, the sixth weekend, you'd be like, ah, there it is. They'll say yep. something like, yep, there it is. That's why yep. you're with me. <laughs> exactly. So, and In- like, you're never going to find those people or, or you'll be drained at the people like, oh, at the end of the week, it's just like, why are you like that? And you're like, oh, I put on this performance. I'm up there like, like Tom Cruise putting on this act, like I'm personal trainer guy. And then it's just as soon as the client leaves, they're like, oh. Yeah. No, it's exhausting. It'll drain you. That. Like, that's how you get burnout real freaking quick. And it's, I mean, I, one thing I would add to your, like, be yourself aspect for, like, these newer trainers, especially, like, in a bid box gym, too, is probably just learning how to, I think, like, be yourself, know yourself. That's a big aspect. But also just be comfortable with, how do I say this? just having conversation, <laughs> like being a oh. real fucking person, <laughs> like especially in a commercial gym, man. Like, oh, I can't tell you, there was a guy, he outsold me. Oh my God. He was at the top every single time, like every single month. He just destroyed. I mean, easily making six figures in a commercial gym setting in Seattle. Like I would see him out and about like champagne and all this shit, like, <laughs> like at bars. I'm like that motherfucker. Like, how does he sell more than me? I know more than him. I would sit there and think that nonstop, but this guy would have genuine, real conversations with his tr- clients. And they would, I mean, they loved him. They worshiped him. His training looked like shit, but he just like was a real fucking person in front of these yeah. people. And it's so hard to not be finger wavy about it, but then it's like, why can't you combine the best of both worlds? It's like, okay, so exactly. be a trainer, but then learn from that guy. Because I used to be really judgmental about cheerleader trainers. I'll be like, no, but I do like a good program and it's like smart. And like, but then like some cheerleader would be like, go, 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 go. You could do it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Like, come on. They call him in the morning. He's like, no, no, come in. You can make the session sort of thing. Whereas I'm like, no, I'm not a motivator. I'm a really smart coach. But if the result's the same, I'm like, oh, holy shit. Well, if I, if I can be that cheerleader without watering down my program, I'm going to crush everyone. So it's yeah. like, you can't be a snob about res- results, art results to an extent process oriented and outcome oriented again i'm lean i I think i lean a bit more towards outcome no one's paying me for a process it's rare yeah sometimes they are sometimes they are it's rare and like you said it's a combination of the two like i tell people it's like i can make the most beautiful program you've ever seen and it's so specific to you but if you don't fucking like it (laughs) like what's the whole and you don't do it what's the whole point of this thing right so it's like all right. Yeah. This one might not be a biomechanical, you know, ad- advantageous for you, but it was a sick pump. Wasn't it? Like yeah, <laughs> you, exactly. you enjoyed that. Didn't you? And they're like, Oh dude, my glutes, my arms. Like that was awesome. It's like, that's what it's about. Like just enjoying the process of it. I just don't know anyone. And that's the thing as well. Cause like, I think what we don't realize is boring training is effective, but then we also have so many neurodivergent people in the fitness industry. And that's also what makes boring training productive. Like anyone who has neurodivergent, do you mind? Yeah. So just like maybe being on the spectrum a little bit uh, to some extent, like aspects of those things, ADHD and things like Mm -hmm. that. Um, You know, some people get obsessed with counter-strikes. Some people get obsessed with powerlifting and and bodybuilding. Like they're the same (laughs) people to me. Um, And I think if you've ever had a lot of success in powerlifting or bodybuilding, you're like, why doesn't everyone else find this really boring? Go, um, Go, go talk to a professional and you might learn a lot about yourself. And again, like you'll be able to help clients who are also neurodivergent uh, and, and, and have all these different personalities. But like some people, again, they need the variety and, and they need yeah. that stimulation. Some people, it's just like same three exercises, same program for weeks on end. Like that's amazing to them. Nothing could be more exciting or satisfying. 100%. But again, you've got to like realize that that's a special type of character. Yeah. But again, it circles back to what you're saying. It's just meeting the person where they're at, you know, at the end of the day, you just have to meet them where they're at and get to know them. (laughs) 
easier to, said than done. You have to be a human <laughs> and get to know people and talk to them and be social. Like, but that's it. The more you are a bit of an idiot. Like if you're this perfect operator and then you're like, well, don't my clients open up to me? It's just like, far out, man. Well, think of the thing you created in front of them. Yeah. <laughs> Trust me, like my clients are pretty comfortable telling me stuff because they know I'm an idiot. Yeah. Like, well, tell I had a- stuff I get up to on the weekend and they're like, I can tell this guy stuff. Yeah. I had to completely pivot my marketing because I was just getting people that were like, they identify themselves as like literally broken. And they were just, (laughs) I've seen all these people and no one can help me. And that's me. And that's their personality. And it's like, well, what if we tried the gym? And they're like, oh no, I I can't do that. And I was like, how am I marketing? I'm literally like being all like fluffy and comforting. And my marketing just looked like it it was just rehab, rehab, rehab. I was like, well, I want to train people who want to get back in the gym. Next thing I know, I started talking about the gym on my <laughs> social media posts. And it's like, oh, these guys are cool. It's crazy like, hey, how much it is weird. that litmus test of like the energy you're putting out there, like what's coming in into your inquiries. Oh, 100%. Yeah. Like their clients are finding you at the end of the day. You're just always like putting shit out there. Like, like you said, it's just that exposure aspect. But we definitely took 100%. a business turn there at the end of the <laughs> weird not. And then that, I do enjoy talking about other things. Again, yeah. usually it's always down that movement rabbit hole. So it's nice to come out, talk to, about a broad range of topics. I appreciate that. Yeah, of course, man. Cool. Well, I know we're getting a little close on time here. Um, Angus, I really appreciate you coming on the show, man. Um, if you don't mind, just kind of hit us with the, uh, the, the little bit of show notes, where we can find you, uh, getting programs, all that good stuff. Yes. So um, if you want to find me, my main platform, sort of Instagram, it's Angus Bradley 92. I also have a podcast that drops weekly, sometimes two times a week. Sometimes it's just my brother shooting the shit, usually a bit of fitness content in there. A lot of the time we're talking to a coach or an athlete. Definitely have to have you on, uh, interview you as well. Uh, And then I've also got my mentorship program, which the next one of that kicks off second week of June. Uh, It's just an eight week program, like biomechanics movement, programming, content creation, business systems, et cetera. Um, If you're interested in trying out some, uh, I guess I've got a hybrid program. It's sort of like all these breathing concepts and drills and mobility concepts worked into this arm program. It's a little bit of a rehab Trojan horse. I know a lot of people think arm training and rehab exercises are a bit of a waste of time. So I just sort of rolled them up into one uh, for people. There's also a program coming out, rotation restoration. So the idea is they're a little bit of a program bundle add-on. You can get both of those. And if you just got like a general powerlifting program or any sort of general program, you could add both of those on just to get a little bit of a taste of some of these concepts. And uh, if you live in the UK and you're interested in Olympic weightlifting, myself and Chris Speed are delivering some weightlifting seminars all through August across the UK. So keep an eye out for those dates. Yeah, that's it. Thanks so much for having me on. This was a really fun conversation. Yeah, for sure. We'll have to do it again. Definitely. Thank you all for listening and we'll see you in the next one.